as I bring my attention and awareness to this moment, I realize that there is only one, one source, one good, one God. And whatever we choose to call that one, it is love. It expresses as love in, through, and out each one of our hearts. And as we are one with spirit, we are one with one another. We are all connected in this one love. Realizing that as we engage today in, in this service, in this time together, really listening, really engaging, we hear and see and know exactly what we need for that next step in our lives, for that next step in our spiritual evolution. Knowing that everything is already unfolding perfectly and wonderfully and in divine timing, I simply say thank you and know that my word has power and that it is already done. And together we affirm this by saying, and so it is. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good, morning. good morning. So good to have you all out on this beautiful, chilly morning. Thank you, Cherie, for the beautiful opening prayer. It is so good to welcome you back after a several-month sabbatical. Yay! Yay! Yay. 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 That's right. <laughs> Family's complete. So if you're new with us here this morning, my name is Reverend Diana Johnson, and I'm the pastor and spiritual director of Mystic Heart Spiritual Center. We are uh, an independent interfaith community. We teach universal principles and um, practical spirituality. And I want to welcome you home to our community and home to the guidance and the wisdom that lies in your own mystic heart. So we begin our meditation service this morning by joining our voices, joining in vibration physically through the voice. And we have a, uh, a new chant after our opening this morning that you'll see lyrics, yes? No. Oh, or is it just follow? Okay, so you'll see lyrics. I didn't know if it was a call and response. So here we begin. Whatever came before, let 
Remember that you are a blessing to the world. blessings right here in this space. So we continue our meditative experience by making conscious connection with the whole, gently allowing eyes to close if you're comfortable, 
or allowing the gaze to rest downward. Taking a couple of nice deep breaths. And on the exhale, letting go of everything that has led to this moment. Being fully present. Is there anything that I need to leave at the door as I come in today? Is there any intention I wish to set for myself in being present here this morning? Feeling and knowing our connection to all of life Sensing the radiant light of spirit that shines from within each one of us. And honoring that light in all other beings. Humans. Other than human creatures. Plants. Rocks. Soil and water, stars and planets, all alive with one radiant light. The essence, the substance, and intelligence of all that is flowing through each one of us now, offering its wisdom to our time together this morning. We feel our oneness with all that is. Sensing our oneness, we acknowledge our responsibility to one another as human family and as caretakers of our beautiful and life-giving planet. Centered in our oneness, we turn now to the idea of new beginnings. Each one of us is on a sacred journey, a journey of transformation. Day by day, moment by moment, we are changing. Our lives are changing. This is the nature of things. Sometimes these changes are graceful, easy, welcome. And sometimes they are not. This is when it can be so uncomfortable. The challenge we face in difficult times is to learn to be at peace with whatever is going on. To learn to flow like water 
around the seeming obstacles in our path. To move through life's sadness and grief without letting it take us over completely. This life is a sacred journey, a pilgrimage into the unknown, each day bringing new opportunities for discovery. And if your journey is indeed a pilgrimage, a soulful journey, it will be rigorous. Ancient wisdom suggests if you aren't trembling as you approach the sacred, it isn't the real thing. The sacred in its various guises, as holy ground, as art or knowledge, evokes emotions and commotion. The challenge is the same for each of us as we walk the daily journal journey of life. To remember that we are perfect and intentional expressions of the divine. Not humanly perfect, divinely perfect. Created to be exactly as we are. No exceptions. The purpose of our being here is twofold. First, our life experience offers the opportunity to discover our own divinity. And second, it is only through our physical existence that the divine comes to experience itself as human. The one source has given us the gift of life, and collectively we are giving it the full range of human experience. And so we have come full circle back to the idea that the nature of life is change. That as humans, we tend to like things to be predictable. Our illusion of control gives us a sense of security. The spiritual invitation for each of us is this, to go to the edge of my discomfort, to rest there, remaining fully present in my experience, allowing the edges to soften as I breathe, allowing it to be what it is, without action, without reaction. We each have a threshold for uncomfortable or painful experiences. When we stay within this range, we can be present to what life brings us in the moment.
When we drop below our threshold, we become numb and seek things out that help us avoid the pain. The numbing agents, drugs, overwork, media, shopping, they blind us to real healing. We reach for them when anxiety kicks into overdrive, when we feel panicked, unsettled, <coughs> sad, angry, or ill at ease. The only way to widen our threshold of tolerance is to dance at its edges, explore uncomfortable places, and stay present. When we risk the unfamiliar, our resilience grows and we become more capable of living life peacefully, gracefully. The call is to cultivate patience, to not run away when things become challenging. Stability demands that if we stay with difficult experiences and stay present to the discomfort, they create in us a great transformation. As a culture, we rarely acknowledge the value of being uncomfortable. We strongly discourage grieving people to stay with their sadness. Instead, we tell them to cheer up or to move on. Rarely are we encouraged to explore what grief can teach us. We are forever seeking the next thing to make us feel good. So much of our culture's spirituality is about making us happy, about affirmations and positive experiences. Here this morning we take a moment to acknowledge and honor all that life brings, to admit that life can be difficult at times. And that there is not one of us who escapes feeling pain and discomfort. Perhaps we can hold this in mind as we move through our days interacting with others. Every one of us is holding the full range of human experiences. What might this beloved child of God, the one before me now, be carrying? Sometimes we need to be uncomfortable. Sometimes we need to remember a God of wildness 
who calls us beyond our edges to a landscape where we might discover a passion and vitality we never knew we could experience. We may cultivate a freedom we have never known before because our fears become something to move toward rather than away from. Developing the capacity to endure and remain open to difficult feelings is part of the movement toward spiritual maturity. By staying present to the discomfort of life, we grow in our resilience and our ability to recover from the deep wounds that life will offer us. We grow in our compassion for ourselves as we learn to embrace all of the vulnerable places inside of us. Plus, as we embrace these in ourselves, we grow in our compassion for one another. We grow in our ability to experience deep presence and peace in the midst of life's messiness and uncertainty. One of the goals of the spiritual path is to grow beyond our perceived limitations, to expand into a realm of greater possibility, a realm of higher fulfillment. Our limitations are what define our comfort zones. They form the outer body of what is familiar what feels good, what we are accustomed to, what we know, and what is on the other side of that border, uncertainty, discomfort, fear of losing control, the unknown, the dreadful phantoms of our own imaginings. When we confront our limitations, we must do so on their turf. We have to meet them at the outer limits of our comfort zones, the place where it feels the most dangerous, the riskiest to us. Challenged by our discomfort, our fears, our confusion, we are tempted to retreat back to the familiar, the comfortable, to our small, if uninspired situation. It is here that we must sacrifice our fear, call forth our faith, and remind ourselves that there is a divine wisdom within us 
ever guiding us, ever guarding us. In this time of shared silent communion, let us find where we are being called to expand beyond our current limitations. Find our growing edges and muster the courage to stay there despite discomfort and do the work that must be done. Three of the Christian Gospels tell the story of Yeshua and his disciples sailing across the Sea of Galilee when a storm arose. 
as Yeshua slept in the stern, high waves rocked the ship, terrifying the disciples. They woke him and he arose and said, Peace, be still. But was he addressing the weather? Or was he calming the storm raging within the disciples themselves? Outside of our comfort zones, when we become anxious, might it help to allow the Christ within us to command peace, be still, to quiet our fearful imaginations? Pilgrimage leads us into unfamiliar territory, uncharted waters. Let us set an intention to become more comfortable with discomfort, to lean into that which we fear, and to stay the course that we have committed to. As Teze continues, we give thanks for Reverend Diana's encouragement to continue growing, even when it's so uncomfortable. From the poet Rumi. God turns you from one feeling to another and teaches you by means of opposites so that you will have two wings to fly, not one. It is in the gift of silence that I am reminded yet again that exhilaration and discomfort joy and sorrow, clarity and ambiguity are all part of my experience. I can and do contain the full range of human experience. And this is as it should be. The richness of life embraces all of it. I need only show up to every moment, willing to embrace the wholeness of who I am. No grasping, no resistance. Ignoring the internal and external voices that want me to push ahead before I'm ready. Welcoming the tender grace of not knowing, and giving myself over to the fertile darkness, despite the fears or voices that long for certainty, or the ones which think they have it already figured out. New beginnings require change. Change especially unbidden change, can be so uncomfortable. Our world is in a time of transformation. And as self-reflective and choice-making members of the global community, each one of us is a part of that transformation. Much of the change that is occurring in the world is not of our choosing. And it may be uncomfortable 
or even painful at times, to watch or experience. But we are made for times such as these. The invitation this week is this to welcome a profound sense of self-love no matter what is going on in your life and to honor the truth of your experience moment by moment. Where in your life are you experiencing discomfort? Can you simply be present with it? Can you very gradually move toward welcoming it as a loving teacher? And what are the voices that hold you back from such a gracious act of hospitality? When I forget we are one And I regret things that I've done I go within my heart and soul I start again knowing I'm home is right here where I am. I am right where I should be. As I fill my mind with peace, I feel it washing over me. God is right here where I am, flowing in and out through me. Breathe.
In this and every moment I am free. As are we all. Knowing there is only one life, one source of all that is. One essence, one substance, one creative process at work. Trusting and knowing that it, they, are expressing in every moment is all of creation. And so I know that all that I am, all that each of us is, is God in form. This doesn't mean that I am all that God is. But it does mean that there is nothing within me but the presence of the divine in all of its beautiful and less than beautiful forms. And so I welcome all of it. The happy, joyful, uplifted moments the difficult and challenging and painful moments. Knowing that as I experience one, I have framework to then experience the other. I am divinely human. We are the family called humanity. Each one a beautiful and perfect expression of the divine. There are no exceptions in that. And so this morning I just simply give thanks. I say thank you, Spirit, for this time that we share each week and for this deep faith that knows that all is always unfolding in divine timing and perfect order. And so I step into my alignment with that divinity as I move into this week, knowing the same for each one of us. And I release this prayer trusting that it has created a smooth and graceful path, whatever it looks like, for each one. We affirm this together as we say, and so it is. Amen. So as we close our Tuesday this morning, we offer the opportunity for you to first look around you and say hello to your, your spiritual family. This is one of your support systems, should you choose it for yourself. And second, we offer the opportunity for you to share of your financial good in support of the work that we're doing in the world. If you're joining us online, you can find us at mysticheart.org. We have a donate button and we have a mailing address. But for each and every gift that is offered here, whether it is a gift of financial support or a gift of the heart, a gift of your time, your talent, we are just so deeply grateful because it is through the work of all of us together that we grow and thrive, and we are growing and thriving. So I thank you so much.
please enjoy the prayer. Need to find a place 
simply say thank you for every gift that comes our way. Gifts of spirit through the hands of spirit to the heart of spirit. Circulation, flow, but your support is, is just deeply appreciated. And so it is. So it is. Amen. Welcome back. So just in closing today, um, we do have conscious conversations in about 15 minutes. You're welcome to come back and join in a little more lively and interactive um, expression of all of our wisdom as we share this with our kids. And let's sing our way out. May your soul always find what it's looking for. May your heart always lead the way. May you live in peace and harmony. And may love always fill your day. May your path be strewn with happiness. May success find you everywhere. May you always embrace compassion and grace and may God always answer your prayers. May you always embrace compassion and grace and may God always answer your prayers. Have a beautiful Sunday. If you'd like to come back for Conscious Conversations, you know where to find us. In this moment, I'm reminded of the one source, the one presence. And reminded again that this source, this one presence, spirit, God, whatever we call it, that it is joy. 
that spirit expresses as joy through us, in us, as us. So when I hear people chatting about and entering the room and just being so happy to see one another, so thrilled to be a part of this community, I remember the joy that we are expressing. Knowing that each and every expression of that is good and is welcome. And so I surrender to that, whatever it looks like. Being present to all of it. And I know today that during this service that as we engage and listen, really listen to that voice that is spirit flowing through to and as Reverend Diana, knowing that each of us hears exactly what it is that we need to step further into our own divinity. Celebrating the community and each one of you here, I simply give thanks. Knowing that my word is active and powerful and is already done. And together we affirm this by saying, and so it is. Thank you so much, Cherie, for setting a beautiful space for us. We want to welcome you back from your sabbatical. We are so happy to have welcome you back. Welcome back. <laughs> Prodigal daughter has returned. <laughs> and so welcome if you're new with us here this morning, either in the house or online. My name is Reverend Diana Johnson. I am the pastor and spiritual director of Mystic Heart Spiritual Center. We're an interfaith community that teaches universal principles and practical spirituality. So I'd like to welcome you home to our community. And even more than that, I want to welcome you home to the wisdom and guidance that lives in your own mystic heart. So we begin uh, by singing together as we do in the Tese, but this time it's a little more lively. So I invite you, if you feel moved, to stand, sing, dance, move around, say good morning, or whatever it is, feel free. Welcome to the Mystic Heart, join the celebration. Lift your voice and sing your part, make this affirmation. Spirit made us family. Loving hearts to share. Together we are joyfully practicing the possible through prayer. And everything's possible. So welcome to the mystic heart. All right, I want to see if you can say something. I don't know. I don't know if you can do it. 
this month. So join us. This is a Buddhist meta prayer chant written by Tien Volu years ago. And so Chris is going to sing it, and I'll echo Chris, so you follow me, okay? Or you can follow me. Or whatever. It's a free country. May I be happy. friends be happy. May my friends be happy. May my friends be peaceful. May my friends be peaceful. May my friends be free. May my friends be free. May we be May my enemies be happy. <laughs> May my enemies be happy. May my enemies be peaceful. so move stay standing if you want to sit whatever works for you but the invitation is to experience the presence of the divine in your body take a moment to embody spirit together
the vibration of the singing helps us to embody that presence. Feel the life moving through you, the love moving through you. And join me in a sacred practice of visioning for a love-soaked world. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. A love-soaked world where all humans are embodying and living from peace, from joy, from abundance and generosity and freedom and justice as the living principles that guide our lives where all humans practice loving kindness and compassion, honoring and caring for one another and for our beautiful planet as the sacred home that sustains us all. We're creating a world where all needs are met, where all beings have plenty of nourishing food, the safety of a warm and comfortable home, where mental and physical health, education, and healthy relationships are ensured by social systems grounded in wellness and wholeness. Amen. Amen. Where right livelihood, creative <coughs> contribution, and a sense of belonging are known as gifts of the spirit and are experienced by all. Yes. Yes. A world in which all beings are valued and respected for their inherent goodness and light where the peace we cultivate within shows up as a world free of hatred or violence. We are creating a world that knows no greed, where there's absolute abundance in simply having enough, where every being deserves and receives all that is needed for a full, rich, and contented life. In this new world of our creation, every person is a caring and conscious vessel through which generosity flows freely. By the power of our collective intention, we write a new story. We create a world that works for all beings. We will not lower our vision, no matter the appearances, <coughs> knowing with our whole hearts that such a world is not only possible, but that it is inevitable, yes. we stand firmly in, for, and as peace. Yes. We stand in, for, and as love. Yes. We stand in, for, and as unity. Yes. We open our hearts, our doors, and our arms in radical welcome, yes. erasing all lines of apparent separation. We create a bigger table to which all are invited and at which all have an equal voice. Amen. Our powerful vision is moving into form and experience right here and right now. We feel it. We know it. And we give thanks for it. We let it be. And so it is. And so it shall ever be. So it shall ever be. Amen. Thank you so much for joining me in that vision every week. Our prayer and our vision is so powerful.
So let's take a moment and look around to see who's here in celebration with us today, sharing our space this morning. These are one of your support systems right here. People that care about your well-being and that are here for you when you need it. Spiritual family, should you choose it. So let me set up a little context for our conversation this morning. Our theme this morning, uh, this month, this whole month, is new beginnings. Appropriate, we're moving towards spring. <laughs> Nature has a way of reminding us um, in the spring that it's time for new growth, for change, for making a new start. But we're not quite to spring yet, are we? Not quite. We're still looking at potential snow in Reading in March. That's unheard of. I heard that it was 1930 last time we had this much snow at this time of year here. Wow. Yeah. That's a while, while ago. <laughs> so we're still in a place of waiting right now, basically, for spring to arrive, right? How many people in this room just love to wait? Might as well, right? How many people in this room are good at waiting? <coughs> okay, so you know how to do it, even if you don't love it. All right. Does I'm learning count? I'm learning to love to wait. <laughs> Who is it? I think it's Eckhart Tolle that says that he uses this line when he's waiting in a line for something. Mm -hmm. I am in joy in myself. I am enjoying myself. <laughs> See, maybe you'll remember that. Mm -hmm. So we've been talking about the process of real transformation all through February. We've been looking at pilgrimage and spiritual transformation journey, life as that journey, and how life is really all about change. That's kind of what it is. How many people in this room love change? Okay, I actually do love change. Can we be in like with it? You can be in like with change. <laughs> I was doing this thing. How, how many? Okay, so let me reframe that. Yeah. Well done. Let me reframe that. How many people like the changes that are welcome, that they want to see happen. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. How many people love unbidden and sudden change? Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> All right. So during Tese this morning, we talked about um, the importance of sitting still in the discomfort of not knowing what's coming next of getting comfortable with being so uncomfortable. I didn't, I didn't even dream that we'd have as many people here this morning with that title on the announcement. It's like, what am I doing going there to be so uncomfortable? We've been talking also about how some of the benefits of simply being present, uh, you know, what the benefits are to be present with what is without reaction. Some of those benefits are a greater sense of peace and clarity and contentment. And we can find that by learning to just be present without opinions and 
criticism and all that stuff. So what are some of the things that make you so uncomfortable? Your turn. <laughs> Not getting my way. Not getting my way. Anybody else? Or is that just Kimberly? <laughs> I'll have to chime in on that one, right? Yeah. Confrontation. Okay. Being impatient. Letting things just flow without trying to affect them. Okay. So letting things be without trying to affect them. Anything else? Yeah. Receiving difficult truths. Receiving difficult truths. Mm. Mm. Yeah, these are all pretty uncomfortable or can be, huh? So it sounds like where I was going to go next is kind of what Lucinda was talking about. How about not having control over a situation? I did not use that word. I know you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I threw it out there for you. <laughs> You'll take the hit. I'll take the hit. That's right. Politics. Politics. There we go. Those can be uncomfortable. And we don't have control individually over that situation, do we? Ever. Yeah. We can do our cast, our vote, write our letter, do what we do, but then we pretty much have to let it go, huh? So what are some of the spiritual qualities that we can draw on when we're feeling out of control? Faith. Faith? What I do is if something happens in my life and I'm not real thrilled about it and I mm -hmm. have no control, I say this. It is what it is. I accept it. I'm not happy about it, but I accept it and I let it go, and it makes mm -hmm. a big difference. That sounds like surrender to me. It is. <laughs> All right. So faith and surrender, uh-huh, those are helpful. Trust. You have to remember, too, that peace is a quality of spirit, and it's always on board whether we're accessing it at the time or not. Right. So peace. All of these are qualities of spirit that we have access to, but we have to choose to, right? We have to make that choice. Patience. Patience. <coughs> Patience. What? I'm working on it. Yeah. Mindfulness. Mindfulness. So just being present with it. Yeah. Maintaining awareness. So how does it help us when we maintain our faith or our trust in situations that we have no control over? We can create a space of peace within ourselves or around us. And the idea that this too shall pass. Okay, so the idea that this too shall pass because everything is always changing, yeah. right? Everything is in flux all the time. I keep my blinders off without fear. I keep my blinders off without fear. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> you want to say that one more time a little louder? Yes. <laughs> I keep my blinders off without fear. Yay! Yay. <laughs> <laughs> I say good for you. Good for you, that's right. <laughs> so next question, what are some of the 
Nope, I'm not at that question yet. What are some of the gifts that come to us when we practice being still and present when things are out of control? So what are the gifts that come to us? Peace, you feel better. Okay, so you feel better. All right. No stress. No stress. And that fight or flight system is not activated. So you're not full of adrenaline. So you're not full of adrenaline, no fight or flight, and that leads to physical health, yeah. right? Because that cortisol shot, man, that's not good for you. Yeah. Better relationships. Better relationships. Who allows us to make decisions from a rational place? Oh, we want to make decisions from a rational place, so that, <laughs> that's really helpful. Yeah. Anything else that comes to mind? Along the lines of better relationships, I think it allows us to be forg more forgiving. It allows us to be more forgiving. Yeah. And that's to others, but it's to ourselves as well, right? To get out of the monkey mind, when you start mm -hmm. rolling it over and over and over, realize that you get the, that shot you were just talking about. Cortisol shot. Yeah. And when you yeah. decide which is a decision uh -huh. that I'm just not going to go there, shut up, monkey mind. <laughs> shut up, monkey mind. And it listens? Yes, it does. You say it loud enough. <laughs> so Kimberly's mantra for you for the week, shut up, monkey, monkey mind. mind. I like it. I like it. There's that component of, it's along with forgiveness, is the component of compassion. Right, okay. To be able to really see what's happening with, the other person mm -hmm. for the situation. Right. Getting out of our own fear. Okay. Getting out of our own fear allows us to be more compassionate to ourselves, but also to other people. Mm -hmm. Also tied in with forgiveness is, is judgment. Okay. That, that it removes us from a place of judgment. All right. Before, we, before the monkey mind starts grinding. Right, it removes us from a place of judgment, and actually, if we're not in judgment, there's nothing to forgive, right? So judgment comes first, and then we perceive a need to forgive someone for what they did. But if we're not judging what they did as bad or wrong or against us, no need to forgive, because no we haven't judged to begin with. So what do some of the world's spiritual traditions say about control? Let go and let God. Let go and let God. That I'm is gonna, illusion, an illusion. Okay, it's, it, it is an illusion of, yeah, we yeah. have this illusion of control when we actually have no control over anything in any given moment. We never know what's going to happen in the next moment. No. The more comfortable we get with that, the more peaceful we can be. <laughs> in the Hebrew Bible it says, be still and know that I am God. Okay, be still and know that I am God. I'm going to walk us through a few traditions. Yeah. Oh, the Buddhists might say, impermanence is here to stay. Impermanence <laughs> is here to stay. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Not I like really. that. Okay. Yeah. Anybody familiar with Taoism? A little. little bit? So what would Taoism say about control? You're kidding yourself. No You're kidding yourself. No problem. It doesn't exist doesn't exist. So Lao Tzu said this, life is a series of natural and spontaneous changes. Don't resist them. That only creates sorrow. 
Let reality be reality. Let things flow naturally forward in whatever way they like. <laughs> Good thought, but that's really, uh, yeah, okay. I would that's call really that hard scripture. Hard scripture. <laughs> bitter, bitter medicine a little bit. Uh-huh. So the attempt to control runs counter to the natural ebb and flow of the universe, is what Taoism would say to that. Taoists believe in the principle of Wu Wei, which means non-action. The principle suggests that trying to undermine the natural order does not achieve happiness. <coughs> so it's sort of a let it flow. The translation we're reading in class says actually interference with God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well. interference <coughs> with the natural flow of spirit. Yeah. What about Buddhism? Anybody have a sense? We talked a little bit. Somebody threw a Buddhist idea out. What would a Buddhist say about control? That, that causes sorrow. Okay, it causes sorrow. Right. The root of all suffering. The root of all suffering. Attachment. Attachment. Mm. Yeah. Surrender. Surrender. So Buddhist... Buddhism, excuse me, teaches that we must learn to surrender to our grasping and our control. And that by dropping into the body and noticing the need to control is coming from fear, mm -hmm. uncertainty, anxiety. That's what's causing you to want to be in control. And staying with it and allowing yourself to feel it, be present with it, and then learn to relax and surrender into it. So by doing that, we lose our attachment, our sense of a need for things to be a certain way. So both Buddhism and Hinduism would also teach that the only thing we can learn to control is... Our own breath. <laughs> ourselves. ourselves. <laughs> our thoughts, our words, our actions and how we experience. We can't always control the what we're faced with because we're not controlling, we're not um, creating in a vacuum. We have other people and we have other forces at work. But how we experience what we're facing, that's all ours. That's what Buddhism would say. What would paganism say about control? Do we have any practicing pagans in the room? All right. We have some that aren't here today. There are many flavors of paganism, just like every other world tradition. We can't say there's one way of, of believing. But in general, please correct me if I'm wrong, because I know we have some leanings back there. Pagans are those who understand spirit to be manifest within nature and through nature. They believe that nature is sacred and that the natural cycles of birth, growth, and death carry profoundly spiritual meanings. Human beings are seen as part of nature, along with other animals, trees, stones, plants, and everything else on the earth. And in paganism, Gaia is in control. We are not. So again, illusion of control. That, that's the same as pantheism, is it? 
it is the same. It's a form, it's similar, it's a form of pantheism. Yeah. So who or what is in control according to Christian theology? Anyone? The devil. <laughs> <laughs> the devil? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, no, we have, we have a very strong no right behind you. <laughs> yes. Well, I used to be Christian and I was petrified. So oh. <laughs> yeah. That's what I cut my teeth on. So that oh, was no. my interpretation. Right. From being Again, there are thousands and thousands of denominations, so yeah. to say Christian. But in general, can we say a general... What's in control? Who's in control? God. Is that, yeah? Thy will be done. Okay, thy will be done. So the Bible teaches that God's sovereignty is an essential aspect of who he is, that he has supreme authority and absolute power over all things. And because of the time and culture it was written in, it is he in the Bible. It was written in a, a culture that was, um, I just lost, patriarchal. I'm going, matri no, patri patriarchal. And what might Christianity say about self-control? Or what might the Bible say about self-control? comes from the spirit. comes from the spirit. In and through the human. It's a, it's a, you better use it, otherwise you're going to go to hell. <laughs> Some flavors of Christianity might say that, and many others would not. It's referred to as a fruit of the Spirit. A fruit of the Spirit. Yeah. Self-control. Nice. And no more the devil may be doing. No more the devil may be doing, no. In Proverbs 25, 28, it says, A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. It also suggests that humans are best able to control themselves when they put God first. Seek first the kingdom, and all else will be added. So what about new thought? We have some new thought folks in the room. What does it believe about control? We can use the power of God to control conditions. Okay, so we can use the power of God to help control conditions. Yeah. It's about choice. It's about I choice. I don't know quite how that fits in with the word control. Uh-huh. Okay, so choice. So it teaches that we're co-creators with spirit. And that we're co-creators with all of creation, so we're not creating in a vacuum. We have control, it would say, over our own thoughts, words, and actions. And again, how we experience what's happening to us or around us. It would say that divine law is always at work. Spiritual principle is always at work. And that we can work with it in ways that are life-affirming, or we can work sort of against it in ways that are life-denying, and that whatever seeds we plant into it, that's what we're going to experience, is some version of more of the same back. Yeah, the more 
mystical version of New Thought is it says first you must obey the law and then, then the law, the law will, will obey, you. obey you. Right. I was thinking of Chris uh, saying, you know, thy will be done. Then mm -hmm. there, you know, a reinterpretation of that is knowing that uh, our own will is divine will. It's one will. Right. And we align with that oneness. Right. And, you, you know, and we can use it, the, the law. Right. Uh, divine law. Um, then we're able to manifest the good. Right. Yeah. So, if, if you're not aware, um, New Thought is actually a branch of and grows out of Christianity. Ernest Holmes proclaims himself, or did proclaim himself to be Christian, was raised in a Baptist household, and um, taught from the teachings of Jesus. Well, you know, if you know the textbook at all for that church, there's a, a third or fourth of the textbook is biblical and teachings of Jesus. Um, Charles Fillmore of Unity, they're a Christian tradition. So New Thought is an outgrowth of the Christian tradition. It isn't always owned as that, but that is what it factually is. So is this starting to sound familiar? We're going through all of these traditions and what they have to say about control and self-control. Does any of it sound like there's a common thread? Mm -hmm. So what are the common threads? Okay. In the Wednesday class, the evolutionary class, uh -huh. Craig Hamilton, along with the Dow my life is not my own. Mm. We're all connected. Yeah. Yeah, that, if you ever want a class to stretch you, that guy. <laughs> so, yeah, so what about this idea that we are connected at such a level, we are one at such a level, that there is actually no privacy, that that's an illusion, and that my life is not my own because everything I do think, say, feel directly imprints the whole. Yes. Immediately, as it's happening. Yes. So living with that awareness, the whole, I didn't even bring evolutionary spirituality. I could have gone further with other traditions. But thank you for that. So what are the common threads that we're seeing with where, where control is concerned? I think there's an allowing. An allowing. Okay. Acceptance that change is always happening. An acceptance. That mm -hmm. relative level. change is always happening. That as an individual human being, it occurs within. It occurs within. And then as within, so without. It's got to start from within us. We're the only ones who have any over whatsoever, right? Okay. <laughs> so it has to start within us. We are the only ones that have control, self-control, ideally, over our own thoughts, words, actions, lives. Yes, I'll just agree. Yes, ditto. <laughs> so, I have a question. Why is there such animosity between religions? Well, 
I studied a lot of religions before I came to this place. And what I found out is everybody says they have the truth. And whatever right. that truth is, if you disagree, even then you're really not with them anymore. You're not on their page. And I believe that there's God and that we're all one with God. And that's what I believe, whatever religion that is. So, so the religions want to see themselves as the only way. But we just illustrated, and this is just one example, of how common the thread is that runs through many traditions around the idea of control, who's in control, what can we control. We all seem to agree on that. So, as my son used to say when he was little, what the heck, mother? You know, really, what's going on here? We have so much in common. The world's tradi traditions all teach love, compassion, kindness, generosity, service. service. What else? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Gratitude, compassion, compassion, love, love, surrender, self-control. There's something bigger than all of us that ultimately is the creator, however you want to label that, the spiritual principle at work, the whatever. You can name it in any way you want to name it. It doesn't really matter. Spiritual and, truths. And, and what a religion does is it starts there and then it starts adding dogma and that's when all the right and the wrong stuff gets okay. entered into a religion. But the spiritual truth, there at the middle of that, really stay clean. They, <laughs> they stay pure. They're, they're pure. They're pure truths. The same in any Right. Well, I also think that mm -hmm. we, talk, we talked about the uh, concepts of grace and peace and love, mm -hmm. um, but um, while those are ideas that are taught, the actual remembering of them in daily life mm -hmm. is, what, is where the animosity right. comes in. Right. <laughs> yeah. So we confuse First of all, we confuse the word religion with the word dogma. We use the word religion often when we mean dogma or when we mean theology. But more often people are saying, when they're saying, I, I don't like organized religion, it's more that they're looking at the dogma that's attached to the traditions. So what's the difference between religion and dogma? What's religion? What is to you guys? What's a religion? Belief. A teaching? Belief. Belief? Tradition. Tradition? It's what you do to connect with your source. Okay, so it's whatever you do, your practices, your beliefs, your, your path to connecting with your source, whatever you call it. 
So what's dogma? Rules. Rules? Judgment. My way or no way. My way or no way. <laughs> Control. Control. So, yeah, Lucinda? It also is, is traditions. It, could be, it can include traditions. Instruction. 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 Okay. And rules, but uh, inflexible rules. Inflexible rules. Yeah, I always think of uh, petrified beliefs. Okay. <laughs> so we have personal practices and ways of connecting versus the rules and man-made delineation of what it means to be a whatever, to believe a particular theology. What's a theology? <coughs> theory of God. Okay, a theory of God, a philosophy, huh? Study of God, right. It's just that. So we have a theology here. It's just a very universalist, common threads, oneness theology. Good conversation. I didn't have that here. It's awesome. Um, when I think of dogma and I think of like why certain religions don't like other religions. Mm -hmm. the, the word that is coming to mind is authority. Okay. That they have this, that they are the authority mm -hmm. of what God mm -hmm. would uh, yes. want to happen yeah. right. instead of leaving the authority to God. Okay. Like divine, you know, divine authority. Mm -hmm. All right. Ego. Ego yeah. and authority. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Let's look, I got. I love words. Let's look at authority. What's that word actually mean? What are the roots of that word? Author. Author. What does an author do? Control the narrative. Controls the narrative. Creates the narrative. Yeah. Creates the narrative. Also controlling the narrative. And it's their opinion. It is, yeah. It's their story. It's their opinion. It's their, their narrative. New Testament uses the word the term uh, uh, author and perfecter. Author and perfecter. Yeah, that's nice. So each of us is the author in our own lives, right? We create the stories that become our experience, you know, in conjunction with others. We're not alone here. I'm going to wrap up today by talking a little bit about a Christian practice, which we started last week. Um, we're in the season of Lent. This is the second Sunday of Lent. Last week we went into it for most of the conversation. There wasn't a whole lot of conversation. There might have been a lot of being so uncomfortable, I don't know. <laughs> but I did get a lot of good feedback afterwards. And it's really important to me that that we find those places where we hold personal biases or triggers around other people's religious traditions. Because we are an interfaith community. We bring people of all kinds in here and we all we welcome, you know, the radical welcome goes to all. And so it's likely that within this space we're gonna we're gonna run into people with different beliefs that we might not quite understand. And if we have strong biases or triggers around certain language, it might make those relationships more challenging. So I, um, I 
love the teachings of Jesus myself. I grew up going to um, Presbyterian churches with friends and all kinds of Christian churches with friends. My family was unchurched. Um, and so I, I never celebrated Lent as a child. I didn't know what Lent was. But since I became a minister, I've taken a real um, interest in the liturgical calendar, the Christian calendar of, of feasting and fasting and celebrations. And we're approaching Easter. And many of us do celebrate Easter, however we define it or however we you know, approach it. So last week, um, we said that Lent is how many days or how many weeks, roughly, before Easter? 40 days plus Sundays. <laughs> it's actually a little different length kind of every year. But, um, and so about six weeks-ish before Easter. And in the Christian tradition, it's a time for fasting from what no longer serves us, or this is how we ended up defining it, or feasting on those things that, that lift us up, that enrich our lives. It's a time of self-reflection and preparation for transformation. We talked about how important it is to come to a shared understanding about those parts of our spiritual background that have left us wounded. Because that's where our triggers come from. It's being wounded by different parts of our own maybe upbringing or experiences. And about the language and how it can trigger us. And I mentioned that I feel that any time we're triggered, we're not free. So anywhere we have a trigger, that's a place where we lack total freedom. Our buttons are showing. So we talked about how, oh, there was a word. It wasn't a popular word. Do you remember the word from last week? Repentance. Repentance. <laughs> we talked about how repentance, an important part of the Lenten season, means simply turning around, changing one's heart, changing one's mind. It, it's not about standing on pebbles on your knees and groveling, <laughs> as some interpreted it last week. And we talked about how we can use this season every year as a time for healing, for bringing order out of chaos, for asking hard questions, facing hard choices. How we can use it for questioning the stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves. So there was a part of the Easter story that we talked about last week. Do you remember what that was if you were here? the first Sunday of Lent. What is the traditional, that's my phone going off. Mm -hmm. What's the traditional point of focus for the first Sunday of Lent? Anybody know? Anybody remember? There were three of them. Temptation. Temptations. Oh. Three temptations of Jesus. Focus of the first Sunday. And I invited us, there's even still some sheets left, invited us to look at our own temptations, where we're tempted, and where we give in to temptation. Anybody know what the point of focus is for this week? The second week? The transfiguration. 
of Jesus. I'd like to read a short accounting from the book of Luke. It also appears in Mark and Matthew as well. It says, about eight days after Jesus <coughs> said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to, uh, to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud, saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. So that's the story of the transfiguration as it appears in Luke. Is there anybody here from Christian tradition that would like to share briefly what any significance a story might have within that tradition? It probably is signifying that uh, Moses and Elijah are coming to pay tribute or recognize who Jesus is. Okay. And Moses and Elijah were the two most prominent prophets in Okay, so he's being visited by the two most prominent prophets that have ever appeared prior to Jesus. Okay, so it's a form of recognition then of who Jesus is. That's his peer group. That's his peer group. Maybe they were giving him support because what he was going to do later on. Okay, you know? maybe he was, yeah, <laughs> giving him support for what was to come. Yeah. Right. When the problem with what Peter proposed was that he was kind of going to make them all equal. Right. And so they would all have their own tabernacle. Yeah. That was, that was the point. Right. So is there, what significance, is there a significance for our lives today that we can pull from this story? it's pointing to Jesus as a higher, greater prophet than the other two, could we maybe say that each of us might look for that Christ consciousness within us as the higher 
wisdom as the greater <coughs> wisdom and that that's where the wisdom lies maybe I don't know that I am divine and so is everybody else okay so I'm mm -hmm. divine and so is everyone else we all have that Christ consciousness and while that may not be what the Christian story was pointing to you know, there are lots of ways we can pull significance and truth out of these stories. I want to offer one metaphysical interpretation using some of the symbology from the unity tradition. Uh, this is a Charles Fillmore, is the co-founder of unity. And according to Charles Fillmore, the story is symbolic. Peter symbolizes faith. James represents order and John exemplifies love. Moses indicates spiritual law or the evolutionary process of nature which causes the upward trend of all beings. So that's Moses. And Elijah symbolizes the effect of that law at work or the discerner of truth that brings rapid change to physical conditions using mental faculties and feeling sense. So he defines the two appearing together as cause and effect, symbolized. And I have heard from, I don't, I don't know what author, but somewhere it's in my mind that the coming of Jesus is raising the bar from, okay, everything happens by cause and effect, to no, everything happens through love and grace. So we move from a basic cause and effect world of the Buddhists and some of the, the Hindu and other traditions to a tradition of pure love and grace. So according to Fillmore, Jesus represents God in human form and the Christ is the divinity in humankind or the human self raised to a sense of divine understanding. So I'm going to put it all together. He didn't have a put it all together, so this is my put it all together. Jesus, the man, goes to the mountain, representing a higher state of consciousness, to pray. He applies his faith, his sense of order, or alignment with law, spiritual law, and his deep love, to empower the process of prayer. Resulting from his deep communion, his very countenance is changed, inwardly and outwardly. The peace, goodness, and light radiate from him as he aligns himself with divine will, or spiritual law, however you want to name it, and allows it to work through him, he is transformed. And the message for us is, through our prayer and our deep communion, our connecting with our deepest faith, our greatest love, and our willingness to align with a divine order, we too can learn to radiate that light, to shine like the sun. And I think that's where I'm going to leave that. <laughs> I wrote some other stuff, but I'm going, eh, whatever. <laughs> so I think all of this, for me, and this is me, 
when we go to metaphysical Bible here, we each say, for me, this is what this means. Mm -hmm. And there's nobody right and nobody wrong, and it's all, it's all our interpretation. For me, this is a reminder. The second Sunday of Lent is a reminder how powerful prayer is and how important it is to actively engage my faith and my deep sense of love as I recognize that there is a greater order at work so that the seeds I'm planting are going to be worked upon by something greater than myself. It reminds me that when my prayer is infused with all of these things, it's even more powerful. And it reminds me that not until we come into alignment with that which is life-affirming, with spirit, and we're working with the law, and we're going with the flow, then we see changes in our lives. That's sort of how it seems to work. So as we close today, join me in knowing that there is one source, the loving and lawful presence, the living, moving, forever expressing divinity. Mm. And that I can trust it. It's infallible. It's always at work in my life and in the lives of all beings. It is at work in the life of our community our greater community, our country, and our world. And so we know that we can relax a bit, release the sense of a need to control, and put ourselves into the flow of spirit. Place our deep faith consciously that all is ultimately unfolding for the good of the whole. Sometimes appearances are, they make it hard to remember. But we commit in the week to come to stay in that space of remembering, trusting and knowing that there really is only one thing going on. And so grateful for this time to be reminded every week that that is so. Grateful for the time that each one offers in coming together, the commitment to this community. I just say thank you, Spirit. I know that all is unfolding here, our growth, our expansion, our work as we do greater and greater things is unfolding in perfection. It is guided. It is guarded. It is absolutely directed and protected. And that this community is yet another form of the sacred doing its work in the world. And so we release this prayer in full acceptance, trusting that it is so. Nothing more we need to do. We just let it be. And together we say, and so, so it is. is. Amen. Yay. Feels so good to be here. So each Sunday we invite you to join in celebration of the work that we're doing in the world. And uh, 
to do that by sharing of your financial goods, should you choose to do that. If you're at home, you can go to our website, mysticheart.org, and you'll find a donate button. You'll also find our mailing address. We also have a gracious giving program. Should you be um, inclined to make a heartfelt monthly commitment of support so that we can more effectively uh, budget for our growth and change. And you can find more information about that on the website or talk to one of us. So as we move into this time of giving, I invite you to hold these words of affirmation close to your heart and know how much we truly appreciate your gifts. As I awaken to the God within me and all around me, I see abundance everywhere I look. I consciously step into that flow of abundance, its active giving. I offer this gift freely and in the spirit of love, blessing it and sending it forth to heal and prosper. It is evidence of my deep faith. It does good work in the world and blesses all of creation. I give from a consciousness of abundance. And so it is. Amen. Just because it's fun and I haven't played it in a long time, feel free to get up and dance, dance, dance. <laughs> yeah. I got this feeling inside my bones. It goes electric, wavy when I turn it on. All through my city. Off of my home We're flying up, no ceiling When we in our zone I got that sunshine in my pocket Got that good soul in my feet I feel that hot blood in my body When it drops, ooh I can't take my eyes off of it Moving so phenomenally Come on, like the way we rock it So don't stop And under the lights When everything goes Nowhere When you dance, dance 
do the same. They enable that love and joy and fun to circulate in the world. So thankful for this, for your sharing and freely giving of your time and talent and treasure. I simply say thank you. And together we say, and so, so it is. is. Amen. And we got some announcements. Continuing through the month of March with Lunch with Buddha on Tuesdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Yay! Yeah. And I was going to see how to pronounce Kavalia. We'll be offering functional movement through yoga for the month of March on Thursdays, 11 a.m. to 12.15, beginning this Thursday, March 9th. There is a sliding scale class before the class, $40 to $60 for the four remaining classes this month with a reservation and payment made in advance. And she won't be here if we don't reserve in advance because she comes in and then we haven't had any students. So. Oh, okay. If you're interested, let me know, and then I'll let her know. Okay. Fast Track to Wellness with Reverend Diana meets on Thursdays from 12.30 to 2.30 p.m. This is a physical health and wholeness support circle, and drop-ins drop are welcome. Drop Metaphysical Bible Study with Chris Johnson meets on Thursdays from 3 to 5 p.m., and drop-ins are welcome also with that. 
And please sign up with Tracy to assist with the Junior Mystic once every four to eight weeks. She has the sign-up sheet next door, and many hands make light work. Next Sunday is Daylight Savings Time. Wow. Don't forget to set your clocks forward one hour. Spring forward. We don't want to be here all the <laughs> and looking ahead, Wednesday, March 15th from 6.30 to 7.30, Sherry Barrett will be offering our next sound bath meditation. And the suggested donation is $10 to $20 sliding scale. Please see our website for more info. Saturday, March 18th from 1 to 3, Ellie and Chris are hosting their spring tea, which is the next celebrating community event. More details to come. Tickets are available today. Contact Ellie for more information. And Wednesdays, March 22nd through May 24th from two to five, Reverend Diana's last class of the school year. Conversations <laughs> with the divine and exploration of prayer. The suggested donation is $95 for the 10 weeks or $10 per class session. And contact Rev. Diana to register. And more info is available in your bulletin or online. Sunday, April 9th, Easter Sunday Release and Renewal Ceremony, 10 to 11.30. A single service for that week only. So 10 to 11.30 on Easter. Make a mental note. Give you half of that hour back. <laughs> <laughs> Second annual spring retreat at Coram Ranch in Shasta Lake. This is April 20th through the 23rd. And more details are in your bulletin and on our website. Planning way ahead because we want to be want you to be there. Is Friday, May 18th, 6 to 9 p.m., our annual State of the Heart gathering. It is done for 18th, 19th. Should be 19th. Oh, I read it wrong. Sorry. 19th. Friday, May 19th, <laughs> 6 to 9 p.m. This is what might otherwise be called our congregational meeting, except we like to turn it into a potluck and music jam. <laughs> you will, of course, learn how we've done this year, this past year, how we're doing now and what our plans for the future are. This year's gathering are once again being hosted by our very gracious Gary and Angela Friend. Yay! <laughs> More information will be available soon. Mark your calendar. Prayer <laughs> requests and information cards, and they're on the mantle um, over there. And depending, or if you <laughs> want to call it a book. Oh, so over to the right on the bookshelf is yeah. actually where it's located, right? <laughs> and there's a where you can fill out the prayer request, and you can just give it to me. And also, I do prayer in person, so. You can come up here afterwards. <laughs> so closing song, Love Be With You, if you'd like to stand. Be sure to stick around.
family have really good food next door. <laughs>